of the uh, Bible Department. And in the fall of 2017, I had the opportunity of serving as faculty for the study abroad program in Avila, Spain. And uh, this morning, we have the 2022 group here. And what I want to do is pray over them. So with the faculty and the students of the study abroad group for 2022, please come forward and just stand behind me. And I have to be honest, I really wish I was flying to Spain tomorrow. large group this year. We had a large group too. So mainly we're going we're gonna to pray for their, their safety as they travel. So will you bow with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful we can come together in this auditorium as Christians at this fine university we're thankful that we can bring before you this morning uh, this study abroad group that's about to travel to Europe. Dear Lord, we ask that you wrap your wings around this group and keep them safe. Be with them as they fly from Lubbock to Dallas and then Madrid and also back. Be with them on their bus trip from Madrid to Avila. In Avila, within the, the old city and without, be with them. In the monastery, in the walk to the university and back, in the cafes and pubs, in the stores and shops, and during the festivals and the processions, keep them safe. During their weekend trips, be with them, whether they travel by plane, by bus, by train, by taxi or Uber, by metro or the tube, by ship, by boat or ferry, by foot or bicycle, on peaks and valleys, on plains and bogs, in forests and deserts, on beaches and cliffs, along seas, lakes, and rivers, in the villages and cities, in the plazas and streets, along the bridges and paths, whether they're in Europe, or the United Kingdom, or the Middle East, or Africa. In the large cities, protect them from pickpockets and thieves. Keep them safe in sunshine and rain, in snow and storm, in heat and cold. Also keep them healthy and sound and free of accident. Comfort them 
when homesickness hits, as it indeed will. Help them push beyond their comfort zones to experience the beauty of your world and the differing cultures and peoples and cuisines and architectures. And during all of these exhilarating and sublime experiences, may they always look to you for guidance and comfort. We also ask that you be with the faculty and give them the perseverance and the stamina to instruct and mentor these students effectively and graciously and to provide the guidance and support that they need and yearn for. We now ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. And now you'll hear Dr. McDowell. Good morning. I'm going to read to you from uh, Luke 8. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Let's give attention. Let's give attention to God's Word. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, And immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Your daughter is dead, they told him. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And then Galatians 6, beginning verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. You be seated. And let's pray together. Let's pray. God, we invite your spirit to be present with us. Father, I pray that your spirit would move among us and open us up to hear a word from you. God, we don't want to miss anything you have in mind for us in this text, in this day, in this assembly. And so, Father, please uh, speak through me and, and give us a word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hope springs eternal. That uh, group going to 
Spain is just kind of spot on. And we, we think about all the excitement, right, of what could be and how they're going to stretch their comfort zones. And it's that time of the year where we are all hopeful, right? And that's our theme for the year, hope. But we think about what might be, you know, every single sports team is, is 0-0, undefeated, right? Every single student in this audience has a 4.0 right now for the semester. I mean, hope springs eternal. That's right. And for some of us, I mean, we got our scholars, and then some of us are just a little bit more mundane. It's football season. <laughs> it's football season, and hope springs eternal. I've, that's, that's actually a countdown. Look at that. In nine days... Seven hours, 40 minutes, and 14, counting down, 13 seconds. Texas Tech plays their first home football game. Isn't that exciting? Not much, I guess. But my connection to that, to that graphic is the visiting team. And my reason for caring about that is this number 85. I think we've got that too. Nathan Anderson has done such a great job. Number 85 is my son. So, yeah, the visiting team, the visiting team, I will have a real special rooting interest for number 85, and I hope he sees the field a lot. I don't know. He's getting some reps with the ones. We'll just see. But hope springs eternal. You know, the ideal for me, 10 catches, three touchdowns, Tech wins by a point. That'd be just great, right? But hope springs eternal. And... And I, I care way too much about professional football and, and Keegan and me and David Fraze and others. We go back and forth because they're all Dallas Cowboy fans. And I, I'm, I'm a product of my raising. I was raised in Western Pennsylvania, and so I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. And I know, yeah, give me a little love there. That's right. But hope springs eternal. And all the experts say they're going to be horrible. They've got a horrible offensive line. But I hold out hope. You know, they're still undefeated and we'll see how it goes. But I I came across a story in my all too regular reading of all things Steelers by a guy named Bob Labriola who told about a training camp story 53 years ago. And in 53 years ago, the Pittsburgh Steelers were roughly equivalent to the day's Detroit Lions. Sorry if there are Lion fans out there. Is Nick Cordes in the audience, by the way, our track coach? Nick, is he skipping chapel today? We'll find out. He's a Cleveland Brown fan. So basically the Steelers were the Browns back in the day, you know. 1969, they had hope. Hope sprung eternal. They had a brand new coach. They just hired him from the champion Baltimore Colts. And so they had this guy that was really an unknown quantity named Chuck Knoll. And the first thing he did was he drafted a kid out of North Texas State University that played for the Mean Green, a guy who had flown under the radar there. And everybody went berserk in Western Pennsylvania because what in the world? The headline was, who is Joe Green? And the older folks in the audience get the get the kind of funny part of that because mean Joe Green would become a franchise player. But it all started in 1969 in training camp. He was a holdout. Finally, he showed up to camp after holding out, shows up and the rest of the veterans are there. And when he comes on the field late with his pads on for the first time, the first thing Chuck Knoll did was blow his whistle and call out for an Oklahoma drill. (laughs) 
Now, you that know football know what an Oklahoma drill is. It's literally outlawed in the NFL today because it's too rough. It's too physical. Somebody might get hurt. But they put two tackling dummies down on the ground. They put an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman up there and a running back. And it's just man on man. And so the veterans gathered around because Mean Joe Green was first man up. And he was going against a savvy veteran. And they knew this rookie would get his comeuppance. Except that that savvy veteran got thrown aside. He shed the, shed the lineman, tackled the running back. He blew his whistle and said, let's do it again. Same matchup. And they thought anybody could get lucky once. <laughs> but as the story goes, he shed, he shed offensive lineman after offensive lineman. And what those veterans realized that day was there was a new sheriff in town. But it would be five years Five years of training camps, five years of blood, sweat, and tears, five years of hard work before they would ever see any repay on that investment. That's why I read Galatians 6, because the law of the farm is absolutely a truism. You reap what you sow. And he tells us, Paul tells us in that text, don't be weary, don't get tired of doing good, because at the proper time, You will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Keep your hope alive. Good things are coming if you keep grinding. Dr. Gallagher, our new provost, has been sharing with the faculty this quote from Elon Musk, that the lives we're enjoying right now, the experiences we're having right now, are a product of the decisions we made three to five years ago. And the challenge, of course, for us is to make good decisions right now so that we can think about the fruit that will be born in three to five years. And it's about hope. But how does this all translate to our lives here? And how, do, how, how, can, we, how can we live into what we hope for our college careers and for our lives? And let me be completely candid. Here's what we believe. We believe what Jesus said in John 5 and verse 17, when he said, my father is working at this very moment and I too am working, John 5, 17. We believe God's alive and well and active in this world. Do we believe that? Amen. He's alive and well and active in this world and he's working for our good. We also believe that as Paul said in Ephesians 2, 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. How cool is that? To know that the creator of the universe, who's always at work, created you and me, every one of us, every single student, every single faculty and staff. He created us with intentionality and purpose. And he does, in fact, though it sounds trite, he does have a plan for your life. He's got works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And we we need to live into that. And the ultimate dream for all of us, whether we realize it or not, because we were created to be difference makers. And we long to make a difference, to make a mark in this world, to do something of significance. The ultimate dream would be to come to the end of our lives like Jesus did. And in John 17, 4, as he's praying for his disciples, he says to God, I have brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, I'll take that for an epitaph, wouldn't you? God, I've brought you glory on this earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So what's that look like? Let me give you two practical things and I'll turn you loose. (laughs) 
Practical thing number one is pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. Dr. Gallagher talks about sanctifying your day, giving it to God. Get up in the morning and do what the psalmist did. Psalm 5.3 says, In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. Isn't that a great line? In the morning I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation. How does that work? Because you know God is alive and well and he's active in this world. And God wants to do life with us. Those who seek him, find him every time when they seek him with all their heart. And so in the morning, he said, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. So pray expectantly. And then number two, pay attention to who God puts in your path. I want you to say that with me because I want that one to sink home. Pay attention to who God puts in your path. Y'all didn't do very well on that. Let's try that again. Pay attention to who God puts in your path. Let's do it one more time. Pay attention to who God puts in your path. Here's how it works. It's, it's Luke 8, come to life. It's a day in the life of Jesus when it is as hectic. It's the start of a semester. It's crazy time. We got get busy bash coming tonight. All this craziness, all this pulling in all these different directions. Yeah. All kinds of pulling in every kind of direction. You've got family concerns. You've got school concerns. You've got faculty. We've got little ones we've got to get to school. And we've got kids we're worried about on a football field. There's a lot going on in the day of life of Jesus. So much so that the crowds are pressing on him. And in that day, in that moment, in back-to-back verses, there's a little detail that's just so phenomenal to me. There's Jairus. He's got a 12-year-old daughter. She's the apple of his eye. She's everything to him. He, it's his only daughter, the text tells us. So you know daddy's wrapped around her finger. And she's sick and she's near death. In fact, she will die before this story ends. So he is desperate. and He's coming to the one place that he knows he can get help. It's Jesus. And as that's unfolding, here he is in his excitement and in the hecticness and the crowd and everybody's pulling different directions. He is not thinking about one thing. Get him to my daughter. And in that context, here's this woman. And the back-to-back verses tell us she's had an issue of blood that has lasted exactly the same amount of time, 12 years. 12 years. And so she's equally desperate. She's spent everything she has. She has come to the one place where she knows she can get some help. It's Jesus. And she doesn't even have the courage to confront him. She just reaches out and touches his garment. And to Jairus' chagrin, Jesus stops. Doesn't he realize the urgency of this situation? He stopped. We've got to go. We've got to go. You know the story. Jesus heals them both. It turns out it has a happy ending. But what Jesus was so good at was paying attention to who God put in his path because he was on a mission from God, quite literally, to change the whole trajectory of the world. And the way that God did it was by one person at a time who was in front of him. Here's the deal. We all want to be difference makers. We're wired to be difference makers. But we can't make a difference with everyone. And so we pay attention to who God puts in our path. And we pay particular attention if we see the same face more than once. And we try to figure out what might be going on there. Two stories and we'll be done. One is from years ago. I was preaching full time. And I had begun my day with that little song we sing. Lead me to some soul today. Oh, teach me, Lord, just what to say. Friends of mine are lost in sin and cannot find their way. And I was trying to sanctify my day and be intentional about my day. 
And I wanted to wait in expectation, but somewhere along the way that got lost in the hustle and bustle and the urgency and the tyranny of the urgent. And so by that Wednesday night, when I was teaching the auditorium class, I'd forgotten all about that prayer. There was a young woman that came in. I'd never seen her before. And so I greeted her as she was about to sit down in the auditorium class. I said, well, how are you doing? (laughs) And she looked at me straight in the eye and said, what you're never supposed to say in church. She said, not good, (laughs) not good. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, it's just some really bad circumstances. And thankfully, it was time for church to start. And so the awkwardness got overwhelmed. Went ahead and taught my class. The class was on Abraham. And somehow we digressed into a conversation about whether it was an advantage to be raised in a family of faith or raised without knowing God. You've heard that conversation. Is it better to kind of have that Saul of Tarsus moment, that Damascus Road experience, or to be raised as a Christian and we'd gotten into that conversation and then the class was over and I was, I was in conversation with several people to come up with me to carry on the conversation. And I looked out and I saw this young woman leaving and I had that nudge. I know now was, that was from the spirit that said, you need to go follow up on that awkwardness. And so I followed her out in the lobby and I said, young lady, you, you said something that really stopped me in my tracks. You said, things aren't going well. What's going on? Oh, she said, it's bad. My marriage is in a shambles, but I haven't answered your question. I said, what's that? She said, well, I was, you were asking whether it's an advantage to be raised in a Christian home or not a Christian home. I was raised in a Christian home. It's a full advantage, but I didn't take advantage of it. And now my life is in a mess. And I know I need God in my life. She'd been raised in church and she said, would you, would you baptize me into Christ tonight? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'd be delighted to. And we talked a little bit more and we gathered the people back in there. And that night we baptized her into Christ. And it's a beautiful story of how it goes from there and redemption continues. And, and now nearly 30 years later, just still amazing things going on with she and her husband and their walk with God now. And it wasn't until later that night when I got home that I realized God answered my prayer. I'd forgotten my expectation, but he still showed up and put somebody right in my path I could make a difference with. Last story. It was a number of years ago, and I I was uh, visiting my oldest son, not the football player, the engineer. (laughs) And he had been wrestling with his faith. And we went, to fr- we went to lunch with a friend of ours who was on the faculty at the campus that he was still attending. We went to that lunch and we were talking about faith. We got into a real robust discussion about prayer and how real it is and what God does. And I said to my friend, hey, tell him, tell him about how this works for you. Spoiler alert, the friend was Gallagher, okay? And he said, yeah, I, I pray I pray every day that God will use me and that God will show me the students I can be a blessing to. I pray that prayer every day. And it's amazing how God answers it. He said, this crazy thing happened just like in the last couple of weeks. I'd been praying that God would show me the ones I could bless. And a kid knocked on my door. He knocked on my door. And he's from a different faith. He was from a Muslim background. And he said, Dr. G, I don't even really know why I'm here, but I've heard you're a mentor. Would you mentor me? And so G said, yes. And he mentioned the young man's name. And my my son, his job out hit the floor. He said, 
did you say? And he mentioned his name again. He said, yes. He said, I've been praying for him. He was part of a church that prayed for friends for 40 days to see what God would do. He said, I've been praying for him for the last 30 plus days. Is this the same guy? Yes, this is the same guy. And I said, son, why does that surprise you? The creator of the universe is alive and well and active in this world. And of course, he's answering those prayers. And that was kind of a neat moment. We drive back to campus. And when we pulled up in front of the building, you'll never guess who was standing outside, right in the driveway. And we pulled up right up to him. And it was that same young man. Now, I may not be a scholar, (laughs) but I can tell when God's doing something. Okay. And there were just too many holy coincidences to be coincidences. And so I got out of the car and G introduced me to this young man, and I just went over the top with all the awkwardness. (laughs) I just said, hello, and I introduced myself, and I said, so, tell me something. What do you think of Jesus? (laughs) I mean, let's just call the question, right? (laughs) And he kind of stammered around, and it was just really awkward. And I said, well, here's the deal. He's either the Son of God or he's not. He said that he was. And if that claim is true, it matters more than anything else you will ever delve into. And I said, this man right here, (laughs) he can help you with that conversation. And I just walked away and left it to somebody else. I mean, that wasn't my area. I'm not the mentor. It was all his, right? Went on about our day, spent the day on campus, came back, walking to the car again, just as Dr. G walked out. Another holy coincidence. And I said, well, how'd that go? He said, well, that was awkward. (laughs) That was awkward. That was weird. Kind of threw a grenade and walked away. I said, yeah, yeah, but you'll be just fine. And so that story continues. That story continues. But here's what I know. God is alive and well and active in this world. We are intended to be difference makers. And one Sure way we can do it is pray, wait with expectation, and then pay attention to who God puts in our path. Have a great day.